This is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic intuitive and medium coming to you from Humboldt County in Northern California. And I'm Judea, a psychic intuitive energy healer from the island of Kauai. And together we're spirit speakers where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Aloha and welcome to our four-year anniversary Q&A podcast. Patty and I are celebrating four years of podcasting, and it's almost hard to believe that this much time has passed because it really just feels like yesterday that her and I started this. And we tell the story every year that we didn't have this big expectation of what it was going to be. Her and I were just always having these wild conversations, and we would always joke about wow, if people could hear us, I wonder what they would think. And so that turned into, well, let's record ourselves and listen to it. And then it was like, well, this sounds actually pretty good. Let's pick a topic. And we released that first episode and the rest is history. And so here we are. And for those of you who have been patiently waiting since June new moon to hear this episode, I apologize. I was on the mainland. I hosted two retreats in a row. They were my biggest events thus far. They were very powerful and very beautiful, but it took a lot of energy (laughs) and a lot of time. And I probably underestimated how busy I was going to be in addition to being part of the whole massive flight cancellation debacle that was happening. I had two flights canceled and it took me an extra week to get back home. So I'm here now and we are here now to bring this episode to you. So first of all, Patty, happy fourth anniversary. Thank you, Jude. Happy anniversary. Yay. And it doesn't actually feel like it's been four years. So to get into this, Patty, I'm going to hand this over to you. Can you explain to our audience or some of our new listeners, what is the Q&A podcast? Ooh, so what we do is we open this up to our listeners and we have all of you send in any questions that you have. We get um, questions sometimes by voicemail, we get DMs, we get emails, and then Jude and I go through the list and try to answer them the best we can. So we want to remind you all that when it comes to spirituality, nothing is black and white, nothing is written in stone, and we are just giving you our opinions. And like we have said many, many times before, You always latch on to what feels right to you and let go of anything that doesn't seem to resonate. So we're just going to, you know, kind of go with it and let you know what our feelings and our thoughts are and our opinions and share that with you today. And I just want to start off by saying thank you to everybody who took the time to make these questions and send them in to us. Uh, I took a little scan through everything and I got to say there are some pretty deep philosophical questions going on here. All right, let's start with our first question. I would like to know more about your learning journey. As someone interested in deepening my connection with spirit, I'm curious about the steps you took. What did your psychic classes look like and where do I find a class and how do I know if the teacher is legit? Now, I have talked a lot about my psychic classes, so I'll jump in here and tell you what my classes look like. My classes started out with exploring the chakras and learning about chakras And then it moved on to other things. And by the end, and I took classes for 13 years, by the end, I was in what we called a channel circle. And what we did primarily is we channeled and we read one another, and it was basically working with our psychic abilities. So it was really cool because we got to take our gifts and discuss them with the class and learn more about 
other people's gifts and how they were perceiving things. And then a lot of it was practicing. So even though I really, I think I'm the only one in the class that actually became a psychic or does this as a job, we weren't doing it in prep for a career. We were just doing it to learn more about ourselves and explore our gifts and our abilities. Jude, I know you've taken a variety of courses. Can you talk about yours a little bit? So for me, I didn't take an extensive coursework of psychic development and training. I took a class with you, Patty, in the very beginning, right when you first started teaching. And I took your very first psychic development development series of classes. And we I do recall we went over the basics, but that gave me all the foundational tools that I needed. Because as far as being developed as a psychic, I already had really strong clairvoyant gifts. I just didn't know how to control it. And I didn't know how to focus it. And just you giving me the basic tools of like grounding and protecting my energy changed everything for me. And it allowed me to be able to receive information and anchor it in, in a way that I could decipher the information in a way that would be helpful to others. And of course, that just took a lot of personal work on my own from there. And of course, you've always been a really great friend and a teacher to me in so many different ways, uh, just through conversations and comparing our experiences. Other than that, I don't really have a lot of experience taking like a mentorship or anything like that, which is also what makes it very difficult for me to offer something like that because I don't know what that looks like. And I have an idea in my mind of how I would want to teach somebody when I think about how in my younger years, how I wish somebody would have taught me. And I'm working on that now. And hopefully one day I will be able to launch my own classes uh, I keep saying it, but I get caught up and I don't have a lot of time, but I promise you all I am working on it. And I know Patty also offers mentorships and classes on occasion, but her and I both have very full schedules and we only have so many people that we can sort of open those doors to every so often. I did take other modality trainings like sound therapy and, you know, crystal healing and Reiki and yoga trainings and things like that. So all of those things were super helpful for me. Do I adhere to any one of them and follow them religiously? Absolutely not. I certainly borrowed aspects of those trainings that really worked with me and aligned with me. And I think all of it was enriching in one way or another. Every healer, every psychic is going to have sort of a, a specific way or specific space in which they work in and that they're going to be best utilized working within that particular area in the way that they work. And the only way you're going to figure out where you're at and what works for you is by putting yourself out there and practicing. You know, if I was somebody right now trying to go out and find a class, I would reach out to somebody that I respect or somebody that I know in my vicinity that has had training. I would ask them, who did they learn from? And then I would go look up what what they're offering. I'd look up their coursework, look at their webpage, look at their reviews, see how many people are actually signing up for the class. You know, that would be a good testament to whether or not it's good or not. My feeling is, is that if anybody has come to a point in their career that they feel like they're ready to teach, they're not going to get to that point unless they feel like they really have enough knowledge to be able to extend to somebody else. You know, I've been doing this for, gosh, I, I realized the other day I've been almost doing psychic work for coming into 10 years. And uh, I don't even yet fully feel completely confident in my ability to teach. 
even though I'm sort of kind of doing it all the time, um, but to like just open up an actual class or a mentorship. So my feeling is, is that if anybody out there is offering that, that they've probably come so far in their work that they have to have a level of confidence and there's probably something of value that they're going to be able to offer you. I also want to say that not all teachers are great for everybody. There is somebody that you could be right next to that thinks that this teacher is like the most amazing person and they're gathering so much from it. And the the other person's going to be like, I just don't align. I do not vibe with this person. And it doesn't mean necessarily that they're bad and it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just might mean that they're working within a certain frequency or a certain layer that not everybody else aligns with. There, I don't think that there's ever anything that is an absolute waste of time. If anything, going to something that was like a miss is a big part of the learning process because then you know how to sniff that stuff out in the future, right? So I tell you all, no matter what you do, no matter who you're with, don't go into it thinking you're going to adopt and adhere to 100% of everything that you're taught. You have to go in with discernment. Every single one of us are different. Every single one of us see from a different lens. Every one of us are working from a different vibrational spectrum. Patty and I are a great example of that. She works in the spectrum of light. I tend to work in the spectrum of shadow. Her and I are not going to see eye to eye or have the same methodologies in how it is that we achieve things in our psychic work. So use your discernment, take what aligns with you and everything and let the rest fall to the wayside. Yes. I manifested my uh, psychic classes and my teacher. I spent a lot of time meditating on it and asking for it. So when, you know, I heard about it in a coffee shop, I was sitting there and I heard someone talking about it and I went over and said, wait, what is this you're talking about? Psychic classes. So for me, because I was manifesting it and it showed up that way, I felt like it was the right choice. I feel like spirit brought me there and brought that to me. Another thing is and I've talked about this before, I like to look at people's photographs. You know, if I'm picking a doctor, I look at the photographs. I'm not like trying to pick the most handsome or beautiful doctor. I just can tell by looking at them if energetically I resonate with them or if we align, I can be like, no, no, no. Oh yeah. You know, and I'm not hundred percent. I've been wrong before, but usually that helps me. So reading their bio, reading their description of the class, and if you can see a photograph of them, that's great too. And I think that's a big help. Well, this reminds me of a situation that recently came up where somebody sent me a photo in the name of a spiritual healer teacher that I've never heard of before, but apparently they have a very large following and they just wanted to see if this person was actually like legit, like if they were really tapped in or not. And in my intuitive opinion, this person was tapped in. And they were accessing some higher dimensional frequencies and probably downloading some cosmic wisdom that was super out there and maybe not for everybody to understand. The question comes in to like, what is the person doing with that information or doing with that knowledge? Do they have a Messiah complex? Are they feeling holier than thou and roping people into like handing over, you know, exorbitant amounts of money or involving themselves in inappropriate maybe even sexual relationships with people? Are they getting you to isolate and drop out of relationships with your family and friends? You know, of course, we should have some discernment and look out for the people that we love. But I think that the point that I'm trying to make here is that there are a lot of different pathways to healing. 
and learning about the spiritual realms. There are many layers. There are people who are fully in the light and they work only with like the angelics. There are people who are cosmic galactic channelers. There are demonologists out there and shadow workers. There's people who are working with tantric sacred sexuality. There's people who are into light language and channeling different entities and beings. And just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we should judge it. There are certainly pathways of learning in terms of spirituality that are likely stronger or more aligned to the higher truth. I have faith and trust that everybody is exactly where they need to be in every moment. And if it is in their true heart's desire to find the highest truth, the universe will work out the details to get them there. And it's not necessarily our individual responsibility to take it upon ourselves to push other people into specific spiritual paths that they're not ready to receive or divert them from ones that are calling to them because they are fulfilling their purpose in everything that they're doing in every moment. I, for one, like that anybody is exploring on any level and everybody is at a different level in their soul development and spiritual development. And they have every right to choose what calls to them and speaks to them. Um, so try not to judge other people's spiritual pathways, but certainly look out and make sure that those that are offering those teachings and guidance are not abusing their position and their power. You can take Jude and I, you know, I think we're both reputable. We both really respect one another, but Jude might resonate with you way more than I, or vice versa. You just have to go with your intuition and what feels right. And know that sometimes we make mistakes. If you ever get in a situation where you're not respected or you're not empowered during your classes or courses, to me, that's a giant red flag right there, because there are a lot of psychic teachers out there and mentors that do this out of ego. And you'll be able to tell right away that if they're not there empowering your work and, you know, cheering you on, and if they're overly criticizing you or holding you back, then that's a giant red flag. We actually did a podcast some time ago called the dark side of spirituality. So if you scroll back into different episodes, you will eventually find that one. And I think we cover a lot about some of the red flags that you might find around people who might be inappropriately using spirituality to manipulate others. So that might be something you want to look into. And as Patty and I have said, use your intention and use your intuition. Set the intention of what you're seeking. Ask your guides to help you find it. And then utilize your own intuition, your own inner calling and your own inner spirit to feel into whether that is a clear yes or a clear no to work with somebody specifically. Yes. So let's go ahead and jump into this question. How do you protect your energy and boundaries from other people? I have become such a reclusive introvert over the pandemic, plus just more sensitive and tuned into energy out there as I get older. And now when I'm out socializing or working, I quickly become drained if I'm around someone who is not in alignment. It's like their energy spills all over the place and it drains me. So I've been doing a lot of avoidance, but I'd like to know how to better protect myself and channel their energy through and out of me rather than absorbing it as I now do. So for me, the first thing that comes up is like, first of all, let's just eradicate allowing people who are very draining out of our reality by setting a very strong intention and telling the universe exactly what we want. 
for me, when I'm seeing repetitive patterns of discomfort or people in my life that are creating chaos into my life, or they're very dramatic, very draining, very needy, all of those things. When I catch on to that, those things are happening. I will tell the universe with a firmness, like I'm done enough. I do not want anymore these type of people. I want to move anybody out of my reality that is not here to serve my greater good, to be um, an ally on the mission that I came here to do. If they are not here to empower me, if they are not here to co-create goodness and healing for all of humanity, and if they are not in service to others in the way that I am, if they cannot meet me there, then I do not want them in my reality. And I ask for spirit to move those people out. And I'm telling you, every time I do that, it almost seemingly happens the next day. Like there's an immediate noticing of suddenly these people kind of back out of my reality. And I'll also notice that certain people in my life that I didn't really realize will suddenly slip out of my reality. Like hidden aspects or attributes about them that weren't really obvious to me suddenly become obvious. And so there's a lot of recalibration of the people in my life when I do things like this. So that would be for me, step one, to choose what it is and the type of people that you want around you. Step two would be the actual grounding and protection. And so I'll hand that over to you, Patty, if you want to expand on that. Yes. When I read this last sentence where I would like to know how to better protect myself and channel their energy through and out of me rather than absorbing it as I now do. I was kind of like, yikes, do not be channeling anybody's energy through you. Have an awareness, you know, observe. And as soon as you recognize someone's energy penetrating your energetic field in a negative way, then you bring that protection in and then you block it and then you clear it. But there. You never want to be running anybody's energy through you. It's too much. Now, if we have an interaction with a lover or with a friend, what we're doing is we're interacting with each other's energy field, but you're not like channeling it through you. So right there, no, 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 would be my thing. Do you do you feel that the same way about that, Jude? I a thousand percent agree. And I have sympathy for this person because I am somebody who would inadvertently run energy of other people around me through me. Now, the thing is, is that I'm an energy sponge and there are a lot of energy sponges out there. And that's just who we are. It is the code of our energy. We attract energy that wants to be healed to us and we cannot help it and we cannot stop it. But what we can learn to do is work from a place of empowerment and understand how to direct that energy so that it's not taxing our source life force energy that is within us. So what I like to do is project that energy to the side of me or a few feet away from me. And I open a portal. I open sort of like a, a dimensional hole where all energy that does not belong to me, that wants to gravitate towards me moving into that space. One of the places that that's most challenging for me is in crowds, for example, especially if it's something that's like celebratory, where a lot of people are coming in with their their stresses from the week and their travels and all of that. And then they come in and they go to something that's very exciting and very uplifting. Well, all of that muck, all of that static, all of that stress, all of that shit that people bring in, they release it and then it just gets thrown into the ethers. You know, there's nothing there coming to sweep that up, but me and other energy sponges in that space are going to pick up that energy from that crowd. So 
I've learned to sort of open up portals even around entire rooms of people or entire crowds and just carry that energy out. So when I feel that overwhelm or anxiety, or I want to shrink up or get away, or I'm feeling really drained, I will open up an energy portal above groups of people and move all of that abandoned energy. Okay. So, so, you know, I'm not interfering with anybody's actual energy because this is energy that they have tossed off them. And it's just sitting there in the, and the collective field, I am moving that energy out. And I'm telling you, it feels like suddenly like I can breathe. And I know everybody is all the better for it, whether or not they know or believe that I've done it. So the next time you find yourself in a situation and you're telling yourself, oh, I'm just an energy sponge and the energy's moving through me and you feel hopeless and or powerless, I want you to change that attitude and that mentality that you are empowered. And it is as simple as a thought form that chooses to move that energy that you feel moving through you to move it outside of you. It is a snap of a finger moment. Boom. You do not need to take that energy inside of you. You are more powerful than it. You do not always need to feel that you have no control or no power. So that's what I would do. I agree. I'm a sponge too. And it's socially, and especially when I'm out in groups of people, in crowds, I do get overwhelmed and exhausted. And I think that there's an intensity in the energetic field right now in the collective consciousness that's hard to avoid. However, I tend to notice it more from my reaction, like, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Oh, I'm feeling anxious. Oh, all of a sudden I feel depressed. Then I'm like, where is this coming from? Oh, it's coming from them. Okay, I'm going to clear my space. I'm going to put a gelatinous bubble around me. I'm going to encase myself in light, all these things. So I tend to use it as more of how am I feeling around this and how can I protect myself about it? Because we can't really control everyone around us. But we can protect ourselves in a way that we um, monitor what comes in. We have the ability to monitor what comes in and stop it before it gets to be too much. But even with that said, even doing that, I still have um, energetic hangovers from certain groups of people. And as I get older, I too am more sensitive and I hate crowds. You know, I I have to really, really like the music if I'm going to go to a concert because I don't want to have to... uh, you know, I'm going to have the three days afterwards that I'm kind of putting myself back together. Okay. Next question. Can we communicate with loved ones who have reincarnated? And if yes, how? Very interesting question. Patty, you want to take this one? Well, I believe that Regardless of how many times we incarnate, where we incarnate, you know, we all still have the same soul. It's kind of like our core, it's our base. And when we are communicating with loved ones that pass, we are communicating with their soul or through their soul. And so when someone has incarnated, I feel like we can still get information about them. We can still communicate with them. However, it's not as easy. Like if I'm reading somebody that died, I'm connecting with them and I might say, oh, they've reincarnated. Sometimes, you know, I say it's like they're up to bat, you know, they're, they're in the batter's box. They're, they're getting ready to incarnate and it's almost like, um, it's foggier or they're a further distance away or it's harder to read them. So yes, you can still communicate with them. However, if they have incarnated, I think sometimes it's not as easy. Do you agree? Yes. I'd have to say I totally align with everything that you just said. So how to communicate with them, you go into meditation and you invite them in and you just ask them to come, you raise your vibration to meet them. 
and you just open to that communication and you might invite them to come in in dream state, you know, and it's important to know how you, you personally get information. If you are a visual person, you can ask to see them or see something um, about them. If you are a clairaudient, you can ask to hear their voice or ask them to speak to you, but you just want to start asking for it. And, and, you know, we talk all the time about setting intention. It's like setting an intention that you are connecting with them or opening that space between you and them to communicate. You know, for me, I haven't had any experience of being able to communicate with somebody on the other side and then explaining to me that they're getting ready to incarnate or have incarnated. But that's also not like my most comfortable space. You know, I love that you have that ability so that I can experience it through you and understand it more from you. But I completely agree that this would be a possibility because it's sort of like how I'm able to read other people through the readings of my clients. Like if somebody wanted to check in on somebody in their life, be it a friend or an enemy or whatever, I'm able to talk to their oversoul or an aspect of them that is existing on, on multiple planes of existence that's able to give me information. It's just like how we have an oversoul or a higher self aspect that knows our whole plan and knows everything that we're here to do. Uh, even though our conscious self is like living in this like very linear, limited space. So it absolutely would be a possibility to be able to communicate with spirits from different planes of their multifaceted existence. All right. We've got two questions about the same thing. Do you have any experience with dragon entities or spirit guides? And the next one is, I was told that I have a dragon as a spirit guide. How and why would I get such a spirit guide and how do you connect with animal spirit guides? So dragons, Jude. Oh yeah. I love dragon energy. Dragon energy is so intense, so beautiful, so powerful. And there's many different kinds, you know, there's dragons that are very fierce and shadowy and dragons that are literally like light and magic. And some dragons can be very like reptilian type big giant scaly reptile presence. Some of them can feel more like those Asian dragons. Some of them can feel more like the medieval dragons. Some of them can be more like light and magical, like Falcor from Never Ending Story. You know, there's such a huge range of these dragon-like energies and I love them. For me personally, similar to to the listener who sent in the question, I had multiple people tell me that I had a dragon spirit guide, but I myself had never actually experienced it. I felt the truth in that statement. Like I was like, oh, I know this is true. I would love to meet that dragon. In fact, I have an interesting story where I had worked on this painting where I was um, depicting all of my various spirit guides. And one of them was a dragon and I had drawn it into the painting, but I was like, I have no idea what color the dragon is. I've never been told what color it is. I've asked other psychics what color the dragon is. And it's always just been like, I don't know, it's just a dragon. They don't know exactly what color it is. Um, so I've been asking and asking and asking for like years. And when I was coming into doing this painting, I was like, is it green? Is it rainbow? Is it black? You know, I'm thinking all these different colors. And I had this really wonderful experience a couple years ago on my birthday. And I have a friend who is a, a tea connoisseur that drinks pu'er tea, which is like 
a Chinese tea and she would do these tea ceremonies and she has this amazing collection. And some of these teas are like hundreds of years old. And let me tell you, it is not a psychoactive plant, but the spirit and the energy encapsulated in these teas because they were made with such intention from like the beginning of its seed, of its growth, how it's harvested, how it's cared for, how it's cured to like the whole process of getting it into the hands of the people who are like drinking the tea. I was blown away when I came into the world of tea and these very mystical, very powerful sort of visions that would come up while I was in these tea ceremonies, similar to sort of like a shamanic drum journey, but you're drinking uh, like cup and cup of tea. And every tea has its own sort of energy, personality, portal, this, that, and the other. Well, my friend, her name's April. April had this tea collection. And, you know, as she's kind of blowing my whole world open about tea, she kept talking about this one tea that she has that is like the most coveted one. She only has like enough tea to do like one more pot. And everybody she knows always begs her to drink this one tea because, you know, you had to like hike several miles up into a mountain in China to go up to a temple to be met by the tea master who can assess your energy and basically tell you right then after you've made that long journey that they won't give you the tea. So it's like sort of this fantastic story about how difficult it is to even get the tea. And if you get there, are you worthy to receive it? You know, and then if you are worthy to receive any tea, what grade or caliber of tea are you going to be allotted? You know, because they assess you and and maybe there's some tea that is so magical and so special that um, they don't just give it to anybody, right? So this tea, from what I understand, came from these uh, tea plants that were thousands of years old. And this particular tea was over a hundred years um, cured. And uh, she gave me the honor of being able to drink that last pot with her. And I think part of the reason is because she knew that I had um, the ability to truly appreciate on a very deep and clairvoyant level, because a lot of people would probably drink these teas and just be like, oh, that was pleasant. Uh, but some people, if you're very sensitive, you can have very mystical, transcendental experiences drinking tea. So this one day when she had brought out the tea, I was like very excited. I knew it was a big deal. And every time she has served me tea, every tea had a name and she would sort of give me the essence, the spirit of the tea. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. You know, it could be like misty mountain tea, you know, and it's about strength and courage. And so every tea had this whole big story, but this particular tea, this day that she was serving it to me, I was like, what is this tea called? And she's like, it has no name. And I said, well, what's the energy of it? She's like, I'm not supposed to tell you. And I was like, okay, like, cool. You know, so the, like the mystery deepens. She serves me the tea and I have a very, very powerful vision of this golden dragon, like a long, like Chinese golden dragon, like elegantly and gracefully flying over the tea fields in China and just making its way, meandering back and forth, back and forth. And all the while it's getting a little bit closer and closer and closer to me until it gets so close to me that it turns its head at me and looks me directly in the eye and then turns its whole body in drapes over me like a cloak. So now I am wearing this golden dragon. And as it's integrating into my being, 
I was turning into this old woman and I was becoming like one with the dragon. And I just knew that this was my dragon spirit guide, which is so interesting because my absolute favorite color is gold. And of all the colors I could have ever imagined this dragon to be throughout all the years, I never considered gold. So I knew right then that my dragon is gold. That is the color I'm going to paint it on the painting. You know, April and I drink the tea. We don't talk much. You know, we might be crying. We might be breathing heavy. We might be doing all these things. But when we're getting near the end of the pot, we'll kind of like open up and start sharing some of the things that we're experiencing. And I told her what I saw and her jaw just dropped. She's like, the name of this tea is called the golden dragon. And I was like, get out. She's like, I swear. And apparently when she was given the tea or who she received the tea from was told explicitly not to share the name of the tea to anybody that it was served to, because those that were worthy, I guess, they would know without being told. So she was just completely blown away. And it was like this particular tea was like stored on a dragon altar, you know? Yes, I did pick up the spirit of the tea, but I also felt like that dragon was for me. And so that's how I perceive my dragon to be now. When I encounter other people's dragon energy, I love it. Generally to me, dragon people are very intense. There's a fierceness about them. They're, they can be intimidating in their own way, but not in a negative off-putting way, but in a way that they're very empowered and very powerful and very protected. And um, in general, if I meet anybody that I perceive to have dragon energy of any kind, I get along with them very easily. We really resonate with each other on a lot of levels. So congratulations to you for having a dragon spirit guide. I think it's a beautiful thing. I love that. So why um, you're asking, why would I, or this person is asking, why would I get such a spirit guide? Ask them, you know, it, it's not like every dragon that shows up has a specific meaning. You know, it's, I've seen, like you said, Jude dragons in all different colors and all different sizes. And, uh, you know, and I usually say, why are you here? How are you helping this person? What are you here to teach them? Or how are you going to guide them? So the person that's reading you, you can ask them to help you with that, or you can just meditate and invite your dragon in and say, why, why you, why a dragon? Why are you here? And then, you know, the second part of the question was how to connect with animal spirit guides. I would listen to our spirit guide um, episode because we go into connecting with animal totems and animal guides as well as all, all spirit guides. So that might be a good one to re-listen to. You know, for me, when I see dragons and people's energy, it speaks a lot to, yes, empowerment, but also protection. And it's not necessarily that it's coming up because there's a lot of chaos in somebody's life or anything like that. It's because that the people that I'm looking at usually have pretty strong gifts. Like they're very clairvoyant, psychic, empathic, something along those lines. And if they have a dragon guide, I mean, think of what a dragon is. It's huge. It's fierce. It's intimidating. There's a ton of protection that comes in with that particular type of energy. Patty, do you happen to have dragon energy? I, I don't know if I recall. No, I, I have a lot of kind of odd bird creature mm. um, energy, but the, I wouldn't say dragon. And and the thing with dragon is, you know, not all dragons, but a lot of dragons spit fire or they work with the fire element. So I always think that, that like you said, that a dragon is usually associated with the solar plex and it, plexus and has to do with empowerment. Yeah. And another thing to note too, is that 
if you feel sort of like, whoa, where did this dragon essence come from? Just know that you cultivate relationships with different spirit guides throughout all of your incarnations. Like just because you didn't grow up in India doesn't mean that you can't have a Hindu deity be one of your guides or just because you're not associated with a culture in this particular physical incarnation that's associated with a guide like a dragon or any other, you know, maybe somebody loves elephants, but there's no elephants where they live. Um, you likely have harnessed these relationships in other lifetimes where you had a strong connection to different animals, spirits, deities, what have you. And once you've consecrated that, they're with you forever for your infinite being. They don't just stay tied to one lifetime. Yes. Okay. All right. Here we go. If we sign a contract prior to this life, how does that affect agency and free will? If everything has already been predetermined, what's the point of coming here to learn lessons and where does manifestation fit in within this contract? Or are the main events predetermined and how do we respond to them, learn from them, and can things change? From what I gather, everyone we meet and everything that happens is signed off before birth. And I'm hoping for some clarification. Very philosophical. <laughs> So I have a perception of this that I feel like I understand, and it's the way that I view the operations of this reality. And I believe the statements that this person said, that everything is planned out and chosen before we get here. And some of the things that we choose is the suffering experiences and the things that are very difficult and feeling blocked and feeling lost and severed or abandoned or wounded or all these things, just as much as the process of figuring it out, of conquering our pitfalls and coming into a place of empowerment are all part of the plan that we decided to experience that. And from my understanding, somebody who is like seemingly going through their life, constantly screwing it up and never ascending into some higher consciousness is not less than or worse than anybody else. There's something that they will gain in value when they come to the end of their life and step into the fullness of their clarity and reflect upon how that is that they operated not opening up in this way that is going to have tremendous value to the growth of their soul. So even those that claim atheist, even those that are the anti-spiritualist are all having very profound spiritual experiences and it's all part of a perfect plan. The divine design of this reality is always perfect. Everything is always intended. Everything is always exactly where it needs to be. And it's a very heady concept to wrap your head around to think that that could be a possibility. But even the mundane moments are so pertinent to the very big, explosive, mind-blowing moments that happened. And if you reflect in your life upon some of the big things that have happened that created big shifts in your life, you realize all these little, tiny, almost seemingly insignificant nuances of occurrences that happened in your life had to happen in the way that they did when they did in order for those massive, big, profound moments to unfold. So I believe it's all planned. So in terms of manifestation, when we put effort in and call things in and feel empowered in being able to create what's happening in our reality, that is also part of the plan. We were intended to do that. 
that was something our soul wanted to experience. Our soul wanted to experience what it was like to be lost and sheltered from that truth, to discover it, to put it into practice and watch it come to fruition. That's the beauty of it. Everything, everyone we meet, everything that happens is decided before birth. Yeah. 100%. That's exactly what I feel. And I can't deny that that's how I feel, at least at this juncture in my life, that I absolutely see everything as part of a grand and very detailed plan that we have detailed out for ourselves. Because we live in such a limited conscious awareness of the design, the perfection within the design of this reality, it seems chaotic, it seems random, it seems disjointed. That's the way that it was created. But when you really kind of zoom out and see what's really happening, it's a beautiful synchronistic geometric pattern of things that's all connected in this beautiful and divine way. And if we are failing, we are meant to fail. We want to fail. We want to know what that feels like. We want to experience that growth. And if we succeed, that was also part of the plan. And the thing is, is I don't think that we are expected to fully grasp that understanding in every moment of our reality. The whole point is that we are not connected to that truth in every moment. So that sort of air of uncertainty that we exist in constantly is what makes this reality so interesting and intriguing to be in and to experience. I have a feeling that you don't agree. So let's hear it. Yeah, I totally disagree. You know, and I I do, I will say that I think it's so complicated and there's so much to it that we are not able to wrap our head around it. But I believe that there is a ton of agency and free will and that we choose to come through to, you know, to learn this specific lesson or to experience this concept or this, this situation, this thing. And so we come through and then we, we can manifest it happening gently and easily, depending on how much we love ourselves and how much we believe that we have control and power over our lives and our existence, or if we feel vulnerable and victim to life, and then it's going to be a different process and it's going to be harder. And I do believe that there are predestined checkpoints. There are people that we are planning to um, incarnate with that's going to come into our life at this point of time. Like it's kind of like that contract maybe you know, we're going to help each other out. You'll come in when I need it. I'll come in to help you here. Or, you know, we're going to wait and meet up again later in life after we've had this experience and we can share this together or look back on this. So I believe that there are predetermined relationships, predetermined situations and experiences, but they feel like checkpoints to me. And I feel like we have total free will in between. And this is why sometimes we have to come back for a second take or we, you know, we don't, we don't achieve what we came here for in this life. Um, so we have to come in and do it a second or a third time because we do have this freedom to, you know, I feel like we're the, we're the pilot of our, of our, our plane, you know, and we can follow the flight path. We can get detours. We can lose our way in the fog. We can find our way back. We can crash and burn and have to come back and do it all again. But I totally believe that we're the masters of our existence. Okay. Let me expand a little bit more. I agree with everything that you said, that we do have agency and that we do choose in every moment, whether or not we're going to take the high road or the low road and make mistakes and all the things. But I believe that agency happens before we get here. 
I don't think some other force outside of the universe is saying this is the path and that's the road and you have no choice and you're just like an avatar in this reality and you just got to you just got to fulfill the role. Absolutely not. In addition to that, it gets very complex. There are also multiple timelines and multiple realities that we are experiencing where every choice and option that we could possibly have made has already happened and it has already been planned. There are realities where I have made every wrong choice and there are realities where I have made every right choice and there are realities where I've made a variety of choices, good and bad, all the way around. And this consciousness that I'm in in every moment is pushing me through various potential timelines and that we're sort of like moving through these layers of alternate realities and our consciousness is trying to stay in alignment with one that is high that we are waking up to the truth that this is our reality and we are trying to keep our vibrations in alignment with the highest potential timeline in which we have all chosen good so if I choose to keep my energy aligned with keeping my vibration high and choosing good and being selfless and helping others, then I tend to stay on that timeline that was already predestined for me to stay good. If I want to like give up, if I want to keep my frequency low and I want to surround myself with lower vibrational things, then I will stay on a timeline in which I was already predestined to choose bad. Okay. And so my consciousness is essentially choosing what reality that I'm going to experience. And that in a way is agency and that I am choosing it. But within the current of those specific timelines, everything has already been chosen. It's very complex. And the thing is, is like, I'm not claiming that my answer's right. And, and, and I'm not trying to convince anybody of it. I'm just like, at this point now and everything that I've experienced, that's the conclusion I've come to. And Patty is neither right or wrong, just as I'm neither right or wrong, or maybe both of us are wrong, or maybe both of us are right. You know, who knows? This reality is very complex. It's very deep and it's super mysterious. And I think it's really impossible to know from this density of existence. We can only get little sneak peeks and little snippets of what that truth may be, and we do our very best to interpret it. All right, Jude, what is your opinion on the idea that we live in a computer simulation? Some people in the spiritual community think everything is a matrix, basically, including the chakras, and that they should be removed. So the bit about the chakras, like, I totally don't agree with that, but... I have been humbled and I have had my mind changed. I don't know if I'm just like super old school and just want to hang on to this ancient concept of the chakras, but I perceive them as being very important through the cosmos, through many realms and dimensions and all kinds of beings who operate with some sort of function that has through some sort of system that is similar to what we would perceive the chakras of the of the human body and the the seven ch main chakras or maybe some beings have you know a different pattern of chakras or maybe some chakras that relate to the human root chakra but it operates from another 
frequency, you know, I know things are shifting and that as our chakras evolve, they're, they're changing and how we operate with them. Certainly, you know, but I don't know if there's something that they are something that should be eradicated. Like, I'm just sort of like, who came up with that and who coined that and started telling people that like, then in a way by telling people that they don't have chakras or don't need them is sort of disempowering them, in my opinion, from having a tangible roadmap in order to understand themselves. Because if there's not that, then how are you understanding your relationship, your energetic relationship to your reality? Because it, it's so obvious to me that you would be hard pressed to convince me that that is not the truth that that's not how this works. But once again, that's my humble opinion. <laughs> that's just how I see things. Now, when it comes to a potential virtual reality that we're all in, you know, maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but I don't think this is the real reality. I know that this is not the real reality. I know that there's another reality that exists outside of this one that's so much better, so much more vibrant, so much more full. This is but a minute fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what the true reality is. And so if I know that this reality isn't real, then what is it? And then why was it created? And what what's the point of it? Is it a virtual reality? Probably. You know, I guess that's a human definition in a way that we can describe it and it also kind of comes back into play as to why I believe that so much of what we experience here and the choices that we make are already sort of designed that we're meant to fail, we're meant to succeed, we're meant to do all of these things, we're meant to feel the struggle and the highs and the lows, you know. And uh, it's part of this sort of, yeah, I guess virtual reality that we signed up to to have quite simply an experience. It's just an experience. Thank you, Jude. I want to address the removal of the chakras. Last year, when we did our Q and A, someone asked us about this and you and I are both like, what the hell? Like we'd never heard of that. And so here it is again. So I'm going to do a little research on this, but this is what I have to say about that. We, everything is energy. We are energy. Everything is energy. We are energetic beings. We are relating to one another energetically. Well, the chakras are energy centers. This is where we assimilate and integrate energy. It's our power pack, you know, and how do you get rid of those? We're energetic beings. How are you going to assimilate and connect with others energetically if you don't have energetic centers? Now, as we move into higher dimensions, are they going to shift or are they going to change? Certainly. I'm, I'm sure they are, you know, because our reality will be much different than it is now, but I don't know how you, one would go about removing a chakra and then, so you're just not going to work with that set of emotions or that energetic aspect of yourself. It's just bizarre to me, that whole concept. So it makes me wonder if this is like a vocabulary thing where somebody is trying to describe something, but has kind of taken the actual verbiage or the the wording in the description and has taken it a little bit too far that it's not actually eradicating a chakra completely, but maybe recognition of it shifting into something different because I know I've certainly gathered that chakras are evolving you know the root chakra for example from a very primal earthly plane it's about survival and safety but as we ascend and we're no longer living in a more fear-based reality um, the energies are changing, the frequencies are shifting to more of a place of like empowerment and 
um, confidence and manifestation and you know, because this like old way of holding the root chakra is not going to fit the new design of the new reality. So, you know, maybe they're just trying to say like the old version is eradicated, but does that mean that it's eradicated completely? I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. And if, you know, if we move into what people call the fifth dimensional reality, where we are instantaneously manifesting, does that mean that we throw out our solar plexus? No, I think it may morph into something different or the energy might shift in there. We may use it in a different way. It may even become obsolete, but at least right now, the thought of removing a, a chakra just doesn't make any sense to me. All right. I often hear about people experiencing psychic phenomenon and using the term C. I have only seen in my mind's eye. I experience feeling energy all the time in a deep guttural way. But when you talk about seeing, is it something that you're seeing with your mind's eye or in the physical plane? For me, it's both. And it has happened in both ways. And the thing is, you know, we use the term see a lot like, oh, we'll try to see it my way. Or why can't you see it my way? Like we throw around the word see a lot. And I have really had to pay attention to how I talk about things in my classes. Like instead of allow yourself to see blah, blah, blah. Now I'll say, allow yourself to see, sense, feel, experience, know, because we aren't all visual people. However, I have seen things in my mind's eye clear as a bell. I will see someone's loved one that is crossed and I can tell them exactly what they look like, what they're wearing, how they stand, what their mannerisms are. And I'm not seeing them with my physical eyes. I'm seeing them in my mind's eye. However, I have seen ghosts and shadows and things move with my actual physical eyes. So I would say that most of the time when people you see, it tends to be in, in the spiritual world. It tends to be with the mind's eye. However, many people see with the physical eyes as well. So it can be both. Yeah. I'm definitely just like you. Most of everything that I see is happening from my mind's eye view space. It's sort of like there's a screen in my inner mind and that I'm watching images being projected on that screen. A lot of times the image is very faint. You know, it's sort of faded and it takes a little bit more sort of stretching or focus for me to be able to see. And and that's actually most of the time. And then a portion of the time, it'll be very vivid, like very high def, like, like vibrant colors, like details, you know, and it really has a lot to do with probably the person that I'm reading or the energy of the day or, you know, what, where I'm at, particularly um, in my own vibration, if I'm like on a more stressed you know, if I'm tired that day or if I have a lot of energy, there's all these little factors that can come in and skew the luminosity of what I'm able to perceive in my inner eye. And on rare occasion, and it, and it has to be just right, uh, it's a physical eye thing. Now, I just said that and I was like, actually, I do see with my physical eyes probably pretty regularly, but in the whole of like my whole life, 99.9% .9 of it is in my inner eye. I might catch a physical anomaly a few times a day, but it's become so like normal to me that I don't 
pay, give it much attention. It's not like mind blowing to me that I saw an orb or a wisp or a bit of an aura, or I saw somebody flash into one of their other past lives. It's like, I've just sort of gotten accustomed when I pay attention. I, I kind of realize, you know, but like upon second thought, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I do kind of see some things and it has to be under the very right circumstances that I'm actually going to see like a spirit. There has to be like a really strong haunt, you know, it has to be a very dense portal in order for me to like see spirits as like physical embodiments in my third dimensional space. But that's certainly something that could happen. And I, in a way, have a hard time accepting that people don't see things. Sometimes I wonder if they have too much of a expectation of what it's supposed to look like. Like they want it to look like how they're physically seeing things. And because they want or or have decided in their mind that that's what it is. When people say they see stuff like, oh, it must be just like looking around the room and just seeing things like that. And and they think that it's that intense, but it's not. It's very subtle. You know, a great exercise would be to like imagine your bedroom from when you were 10 years old. Like right now, if I tell you, like, what did it look like? I don't know. Do you, are you recalling it from memory? Or some people would be like, well, let me think about that for a second, right? And so you kind of meditate in on it. And then you're putting yourself back in that room. And you you can kind of sense that spatial awareness and what color the walls were and where the furniture was placed. And then you can begin to kind of recall little details about that room. Now, are you viewing it as though you are in the 3D physical reality in in the room that you're in now? Definitely not. It's very subtle, but it's enough of an imprint in your mind's eye to be able to pick up the information and recall things. I am trying to understand that people are not visual because I'm so visual. It's just very difficult. Oftentimes, rather than just saying, okay, you don't visualize it, I'm trying to teach people like, but you can, you just don't know what you're looking for, I think, but I'm probably wrong. Some people probably are literally like, no, Jude, I just see nothing. It's blank walls. Behind my bed, there are two big windows behind my bed and I have wood in the window with holes drilled into them. And then I have feathers and, and they're stuck in these holes and they're jammed in there pretty tight. Well, I came in the other day, I told Jude about this, and I, I walked over to the side of my bed to do something, and I looked up, and the feathers in the window close to me, the best way for me to describe it is that they were dancing. They were turning like from the left to the right, to the left to the right, and I was just like, what is happening right now? And I watched this occur, and I've been in my room for a long time. There's no, no windows were open. There isn't a heating vent. In fact, I started blowing on them really hard to see if I could make them do that. And they weren't doing that. So this is something where some, something metaphysical showed up and I saw it, but I saw it with my physical eyes. This is actually something I saw. And this is where I've seen ghosts where they have looked like a holographic being or like a, a kind of a really well-formed shadow that's moved across the room. So those are things that you're seeing with your physical eyes. And then, um, you know, you might say, I, I'm, I'm seeing this, or I was shown this in meditation. So that was with your eyes closed. And that would be through your third eye and through your mind's eye. So that's the way I differentiate between the two. You too, Jude. Yes, I agree with that. But another way that my inner eye and physical eye work with each other is my inner eye will have spatial awareness of the third dimension and will superimpose or project sort of like a holographic screen or will superimpose my inner eye over the physical dimension. So for example, 
I might be, let's just say a haunted house and my physical eye doesn't see a person sitting on the couch, but my inner eye sees it and it projects it into the space. So I have spatial awareness of what's happening within that room. Uh, this could also be like residual haunts, you know, it's sort of like um, having an imprint of an, uh, of a, an event that happened in an area or in a room, even though I'm not physically watching a reenactment of this event, I'm seeing it in my inner eye, but I'm seeing it within the walls, within the space, you know, and then there's also an aspect of like being in one room and in my inner mind's eye, being able to already view the other room next to it and knowing that there's a spirit in the room, you know, stuff like that. And I've certainly seen like with my physical eyes, so that's totally different. And that's almost like shocking because I think it takes so much energy for a spirit to like physically manifest. And it's almost so alarming. Like I feel like every single time that's ever happened, there's always like a the very first few moments, it's you're almost in shock and disbelief of what you're seeing. And it takes you like a few moments to really register multiple times where I've seen a ghost and I, although I'm clearly looking at a translucent image of a being standing in the room, it's shocking. Like your brain can't even comprehend it for at least a few seconds. And then you, by the time you almost like catch what's going on, it's already gone. So yeah, there's definitely a definitive difference. Yeah. You described that really well, actually, that you're the one about transposing things over another. And, and that's what has happened to me. Um, like if I'm reading somebody and they, they start to morph into something, like maybe they morph into a reptilian and then they turn back into themselves and then they morph into a reptilian. I am looking at them with my eyes open and I'm seeing this, but it's like you said, it's kind of a combination of the third eye and the physical eyes together, or it comes in like little bits and pieces so that it's almost like by the time you recognize it, it shifts out. It's almost like sometimes I think I'm not being allowed to see the full thing. So it's like, it's like I'm getting it like ding, 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 like little bits and pieces. You know, it reminds me of some of the times that I've been at Polyhale, which uh, a lot of you know that story. And that was something that I saw with my actual physical eyes. But that's only happened a few times and it's only happened in the pitch black of night because, you know, if you think about it during the day, if you turned on like a small, very dim LED light during the day, you would not be able to tell if it was on or off because the light is so bright and you see the sand, you see the ocean, you see the mountains, there's, you see people on the beach, there's all these distractions happening. But at nighttime, it's black. It's a black curtain. And you could have the dimmest little light shining in that darkness and it would be very easy to see. And so when I've seen physical manifestations of spirits there, it is like they are made of the dimmest light, but it's enough of a contrast to the pitch of black that I'm able to make out in some level of detail what I'm looking at. And it can be very shocking. But there are times that I've been there and it's been a inner mind's eye awareness of what's happening. A lot of the times it's like that. So, and it's not that I haven't seen ghosts during the daytime. I, I definitely have with my physical eyes, but I think it's a, definitely a lot easier to see them in the pitch of dark, which is also probably why a lot of people get spooked out in dark spaces. So next question what is source and how can we interact with it? 
I always hear about people talking to their guides and other deities and other spirits, but I hardly ever hear anybody talk about speaking to source. Well, um, I can answer this. I'm like, yeah, of course you can talk to source. Absolutely. I do it all the time. In fact, on occasion, when I'm giving people readings, a message will come in direct from source. And it's amazing. It feels very special when it happens. Like it feels like, like the most important consciousness is coming to give you a message. It's a big deal. At least that's how it feels for me when I get to receive that and mediate that to some of my clients. I theorize that other spirits, spirit guides, ancestors, loved ones who've crossed over, you know, deities, whoever are in a little bit closer proximity to our vibration. And maybe from our standpoint, it's easier to connect. Source energy is so magnificent and so big and, and such a huge energy that maybe it takes some skill. Maybe it takes uh, some practice to be able to receive and hear uh, with clarity. I'm, I'm not certain. Uh, maybe it's super easy. Maybe source is like the easiest thing to communicate with people. It's not that I perceive it to be more difficult or not, but sometimes it feels like the portal has to be very strong and there has to be a really direct current and I have to be in a very, very, very high frequency. And then I am able to receive direct information from source. And even in my own meditations, when I'm doing this, like for my own personal work, my own personal prayers, I feel like I really have to like meditate and really lift my vibration in order to feel like I'm making direct contact. But I feel quite comfortable working with all of the wonderful beings that exist between here and there. But as far as me just speaking to source or communicating to source and not having a big expectation of some direct message coming through, uh, I do that all the time. I agree. If we think of source as the one of all everything, all that is universe, life force, energy, consciousness, God, goddess, that is what we're doing when we're praying or when we're setting an intention is we're connecting with source energy. And when we ha work with deities or we have spirit guides or animal spirits show up, they are kind of a link between here and source energy. They help us to connect with that. They help us make that bridge. So here's a really great follow-up question. Are we able to put up boundaries with guardian angels or spirit guides? Meaning like if we don't want to communicate with them or receive information from them, can we block them? And I personally have experience with this. When I had my spiritual awakening, my guides were introduced to me very early on. And it wasn't that they were bad. They were not threatening. I was not afraid of them. If anything, they were like fun and loving and exciting but the whole concept of seeing and perceiving beings that nobody else could see in a world where I lived where that was unusual and different. So it felt like there was something wrong with it and that perhaps it meant that I was crazy and that scared me. So I commanded them to leave me alone and they did. They listened because spirit guides are generally respectful, right? It's the other tricky ones that don't want to respect your boundaries and your rules. Those are the tricky ones. And so it makes me wonder to this listener who sent in this question, under what circumstances are you deciding that you don't want to listen or communicate or connect with said guides? If there's anything that you're perceiving in your reality that makes you feel anxious or fearful or threatened or is putting you down or negative in any way, then that is a red flag. And I would certainly 
call in your guide team. Ironic as that might be a little bit closer to help you and protect your energy more. So final answer, yes, you can create a boundary. You can work with your guide system to work with you in a space that feels more comfortable. If you need more time, if you need more space, if you don't want so much communication, and if they are true guides and they have your best interests at heart, they will listen to you. I agree. And even if they are all loving and wonderful, if you are not feeling it or you're not ready for it, or it's too overwhelming, you can certainly ask them to come in softer, to come in in a different way, or to give you some space. And if they're loving, they're going to respect that. In a way, I think sometimes your guides can kind of come in hot with a lot of energy and maybe even a little bit of a forceful introduction because I think that they understand that they needed to sort of plant a seed, something that you could mow over in your mind for years to come until everything came full circle and you were fully ready to embrace it. So the guides know what is best and they know sometimes we need a little bit of a nudge because they understand how that information or experience is going to benefit us way down the line, something that we might not yet be able to see. All right. I was expecting these questions to come because the last couple episodes that we had, the word God came up quite a bit. So we have some God questions. Um, is, is there more than one God or source, or is this a term best fit for each person? Also, the other question is, is the creator or spirit an entity and is it sentient? Where did it come from? Is it God? How does Jesus play into this? Is Jesus like the Christian concept or a real person that existed who was either source itself or a fragment? Okay. I am not super comfortable with the, the word God. And I tend to shy away when someone uses that terminology again, just because of all of the, the things that have happened through Christianity that are not so great. So I also, though, realize that there are a lot of different opinions of what God means and that different people have different versions of or different opinions on what that means to them. Jude has described to me her um, idea of God before, which felt really good to me. Um, I personally don't believe in a creator. And so most people see God as a creator, and I don't believe that there is a creator. I believe that we are all creators and that we are all part of that oneness shifting off. So um, I was in the same boat as the word God. I wasn't really excited about talking about Jesus or going there until I had a deep meditation where he showed up. I also have channeled him in the past, and he is one of the most beautiful and loving spirits that I have ever come in contact with or channeled before. And he, during the channel, explained to me that he was a man and that he um, found empowerment through love and through helping other people. And we all have the ability to tap into that. And just like the guru on the mountain that can, you know, perform beautiful acts and connect with spirit. He, that's how he was. He was just a super advanced, amazing, loving human. And that he says that a lot of what he believed in and what he taught has been used for, um, Purposes that he's not in alignment with and has been, he has been quoted saying things that he did not say, and that the best way to connect with him is through my heart chakra. So I personally struggle with the term God. I'm just going to put it out there. All right, Jude, I know we, we differ here. 
So for me, I really love using the terminology God, and I really love talking about Christ. And I do see God as a supreme creator consciousness that we can connect to and communicate with. And uh, in some way, it bothers me that I feel like I have to filter that a lot with people because I have to be sensitive that a lot of people have been traumatized by certain religious paths and they're easily triggered. And then I also want to keep sort of a neutral ground for everybody because I don't want to feel like I'm trying to influence anybody too much. You know, it's a it's interesting to read people that you know nothing about or any of their belief systems and then trying not to come off like I'm I'm preaching some way of viewing reality that maybe they haven't, you know, I even get weird with like reincarnation, you know, like there, there are people who might not even believe that. And then here I am, they don't know me, I don't know them. And I'm telling them about these other past lives. And are they going to accept that, you know, and I do try to be careful about words like God or Jesus, because I don't want people to think that I'm trying to like convert them because it's certainly not what I'm trying to do. My perception of God consciousness being this almighty, you know, supreme creator is certainly something that I believe. And in the same way, I believe that we are all God when we are returned to source, when we are returned to our full wholeness, we are all God under this illusionary separation and experiencing our own self as these like outward external beings trying to connect back with our wholeness. Like it's just the sort of cosmic irony that we feel so separate, yet we are it, you know? And when it comes to Christ, I see Christ as a representation of our highest potential. Christ was an embodiment of a human being that had all of his clairvoyant gifts open to him. He was super psychic, telepathic, was talking to the Holy Spirit, not much different than us talking to our own angels and spirit guides and having memories from this place that he came before. It's not much different than us having memories of like where we were before we came in or other lifetimes. And he had incredible healing abilities. And you know why? Because he could see auras and he could see energies and he could see the afflictions that were happening to people. So that opened up a doorway for him to have so much more compassion because if you can see the traumas and the wounds that are afflicting people and the pain bodies that they are projecting back onto other people, you can have a lot more compassion. I can tell you in my work, I've had people come in as clients that I knew, you know, caught wind of some terrible things that they've done before they came in. And I don't care how ugly or how, how violent or abusive or anything that you've been. If you're in front of me and I'm looking at you with my psychic eye, I will have a greater level of understanding and compassion for what got you there. And this is what Christ had, the ability to see these things. And also as an energy worker and for all you energy workers out there, it's you are able to see and perceive where the energy blockages are and how to move things. And I just feel like Christ had zero filters between his ability to take thought in, in action into form from the metaphysical to the physical. He is a representation of our highest potential. And I think that this Christ energy is very pertinent for this particular time, you know, and, you know, once again, I'm going into that uncomfortable zone where I don't want people to hate me. Like I'm trying to convert you and, and preach some um, testament to you about, you know, the coming of Christ. But there is an aspect of us right now reaching an ascension point where we are mirroring the exact attributes that this very old story about this person who existed, who created these miracles, and we are actually embodying it now. 
And and I even have a crazier theory. Like, I think that we were all Christ. I think that we all have an imprint of that consciousness in us. And there are so many of us specifically on the spiritual path who are experiencing the Christ archetype and the crucifixion and the persecution and, you know, people judging and all these things that are happening collectively and how difficult it is in this day of age to stand firm with what you believe in your faith and your gifts and not listen to these people around you who want to say like, you're crazy, this isn't real. There is a, a call to be resilient and stand in your strength. And these are all things within the story of Christ. And it's just so interesting as we're coming into this head of these big changes and these, you know, events of biblical proportions that align in not only just the Christian Catholic Bible, but many different paths of many different lineages all over the planet are kind of coming to this sort of same story of change. And I, I think it's unfair to not pay attention to that. And I find it weird that those who are on a spiritual path have no problem embracing different deities and goddesses and speak to the elements and elementals and ancestors and all of that, but like immediately will chuck out this idea that God or Christ is a part of that. If you can believe any of that other stuff exists, there certainly is space for you to believe in God and Christ. And at the same time, I say, don't believe any of it at all if you don't want to. It's all in your choosing. I'm just sharing my point of view. Okay, let's go into something a little lighter. I am going through a spiritual awakening and I want to reach deep states of meditation, astral projection, balance all my chakras, raise my frequency and fall in love all at the same time. I'm 25 years old. Where do I begin and how do I stay patient? Well, you're already beginning by wanting that stuff. By wanting it, you're asking for it and you're starting to manifest it and you're being open to it. And, you know, it's going to come in the, in the manner that it is going to be best for you. You know, it's going to come as it's supposed to unfold. It's going to come either hard and, and heavy, or it's going to come light and breezy. Spirit will decide the best way. And all you have to do is be open and have a good attitude, spend some time meditating and tapping into quiet and, and just connect. Patience is a virtue and one that I don't have a lot of. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're young. I sense you're probably one of those starseed energies that's used to having your way at a snap of a finger, manifesting thought into form very easily. And then you come to this very dense and slow reality and you're like, what the heck? Like everything is moving so damn slow. Patience is a big part of this reality, and there's something to be said about the effort and the time and the dedication and the discipline that we put in towards things, and the rewards for that effort can be very great, and it can be a beautiful thing. But yeah, it's not easy. You remind me of how I was when I was younger and just wanted to figure it all out all now. I even remember a time when I was younger when I thought, oh, this is going to be really great when the lessons stop. Because I remember feeling like I was getting schooled so hard all the time and that I was naive enough to think that one day I was just going to have it all figured out and the schooling was going to stop. And I learned very quickly that it's never going to stop ever. And this will go on and on for the rest of my life. I'm about 20 plus years deep into my spiritual path. So, you know, I finally come to a place where I feel like I'm 
I don't want to say coasting, but I'm a lot more comfortable. I know I that I have the tools and I can handle my challenges. They still come. They just don't rock me or rattle me for as long or as hard as they used to. And I find a great deal more of meaning and understanding and why the things that are happening, even the especially the unpleasant stuff that I couldn't see before when I was younger. So experience and time and patience go a long way in spiritual work. So do not underestimate its value. So I wish I could give you some magic spell that was just going to make it all pop into place for you. But unfortunately, that's just not the way this reality works, at least not right now. I would like to say that maybe if you changed patience into trust, just trusting the process, trusting the timing, trusting it as everything comes. And I kind of think rather than efforting, it's more about opening and asking and receiving. And I think when we get impatient is when we try to force things and that's when we put too much effort in. So, you know, take a deep breath, trust and open and receive and ask would be my suggestion. You know what, Patty, I really love that. And upon further thought, you know, things are really shifting and changing and evolving very quickly. Things that took me many, many years to figure out, people are figuring out very quickly now and they're progressing very fast. So maybe some of these things that seem so long and so slow will evolve for the youth, these these younger, newer, more vibrant, less weighed down souls, you know, uh, things will progress very quickly. And another thing is, to not be attached to the story of what you think that you want. Because when you pigeonhole yourself into this viewpoint and you're like, it needs to be A, B, and C, and these are the things that I need in order to feel, feel really fulfilled, you might be missing out on all these other blessings and not really appreciating. So being more present and as Patty said, trusting and just kind of being in the flow with things as they're happening, you might find a lot of magic and enjoyment in every moment. And it might make it seem like the journey to get to like a very heightened state in your reality is very swift and very quick, you know, rather than being so stuck on this idea of like what you want it to be and then never meeting the expectation and feeling a lot of disappointment moving forward. So, you know, food for thought. Let's go into aliens. Um, Here's one. I sat down in my living room early to watch TV. And as I sat there, I noticed my thoughts were thinking about things I don't normally think about. It had to do with aliens re revealing themselves in a big way. My thoughts told me that there would be two big face-to-face -face kind of reveals. The first one would be a controlled situation and not authentic, and the government would be involved and control it. The second will be authentic. My thoughts said to remember to feel what is true and that fear is used to control large numbers of people. There was so much more, but I think this was an example of me channeling. I've never thought these things before. What are your thoughts? Wow. So all of that was incredibly validating to my own experience. Um, and so I would like to validate you, whoever sent this question in. I experienced that sometimes where I could be doing nothing in particular and certainly not thinking about aliens. And then all of a sudden, it's like I catch myself sort of like imagining it and thinking it. And then everything starts to race in my mind to a point where I'm almost like obsessed about thinking about it. And then there's like an awareness that there's another consciousness there. And then the second I turn my direction, like, oh, wait, hang on, there's somebody here or there's something here. And the moment I acknowledge it, then the transmission comes in, then the download comes in. And I've had this happen multiple times. 
So I've never heard anybody else describe it like that. So yes, that's exactly what has happened to me. And I've also been having visions and communications coming in about this exact thing. I think it was probably eight, nine years ago when I first got the message that our sort of technology has come up into this place where we could no longer really tell the difference between what's real and what's not. And that the only thing that is going to save us from being misled by these technologies is our awoken consciousness that you cannot mimic life force energy. You just can't do it. And this is why we're at a time why it's so important for us to do the work that we're doing and to open up and enhance our gifts so that we can see the truth. And truly, actually, really, the joke is on them, whoever these people are that want to trick humanity into, you know, staying in a a fear-based reality. It is getting harder and harder to hide your shadiness. If you are up to no good, if you are an ill-intentioned person, people can see it, they can smell it, they can taste it in the ethers, it's in your aura, it's in your energy, your frequency, everything. And we are becoming more and more sensitive. And this is why we need to work on trusting our own intuition because I also saw that there was going to come a time where this was going to be an issue that we were going to have to deal with, where people were getting roped in to an illusionary event that would be a distraction to a true and authentic event. I have a feeling it has something to do with extraterrestrials or ETs. There is an agenda. And if you pay attention to what's happening in the media, especially when they're talking about these UAPs and the in the narrative that's being given to us is about, oh, they may be a threat to national security, trying to sort of groom the people to be accepting of like bigger military, more weapons that maybe we should be fearful. So now if something ever does happen, whether it be real or a hologram or a projection or whatever it is, they're instantly going to have the masses in fear. And the thing is, from my perspective, I'm not saying that there's not potentially negative, ill-intentioned extraterrestrials out there. I just have never seen them and I've never encountered them. And anything that I've ever been in contact with seems well more like above and beyond in consideration of all of humanity to get to somewhere better. Yeah, I'm feeling the exact same thing that this listener sent in. I agree. You can't believe everything that you are shown and everything that you hear that you have to go with your own gut. And I think that's what these aliens were telling her, that they were letting her know that there were going to be two things happening that are very distinctly different from one another. And it's important that she pays attention to what she's feeling and what she believes to be truth. I would also like to add that this is very validating to another message that I got is that these ETs that are looking out for us, we're going to make contact with various people who are open enough to receive these messages and they would be guided and prepared just like I was with this exact same message so that when these events do happen, that there will be people in place to help recalibrate the perspective of those who are very swept up in the chaos and in the hysteria. And I have no doubt that there are other listeners who are hearing this right now and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been getting the same messages. Okay. My father passed away six years ago and in every reading I have had, he has come through to communicate with me. I have a strong spiritual connection with my father. When my sister has readings, my father does not come through. She struggles with staying grounded and with her spiritual connection. Could that be the reason that he does not come through for her? Well, I think certainly that could be a reason why they're unable to communicate. 
if you think of seances, for example, it requires a really strong current of energy to open up a very clear portal. And if somebody is stifling that, even one person in the channel is stifling it, it diminishes the sort of charge of energy. Maybe the communication isn't able to go through. And who knows what's really going on in the personal space of your sister? Like maybe they're just such a skeptic or maybe there's a higher reason that we don't understand that spirit understands as to why that communication would not be helpful to go through to the sister. And you just got to trust it. I agree. So the next question, how does it feel to channel and how do you know you're doing it? We just talked about this in our last episode. Um, so for me, channeling is a bypass of my thought system. When I am channeling, it's flowing through me and I am either hearing it or experiencing it for the first time as it's happening. I'm not building a narrative. I'm not thinking something through. Like for instance, when I'm reading someone, I'll be asking questions and getting information and then I'm trying to put that information together and then I'm passing it on to somebody. There's a, a conscious effort happening with me taking the pieces of what's coming in, putting it in a narrative that makes sense and passing it on to my client. When I'm channeling, all of a sudden I'll just start talking, no, 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 no. And I am hearing it for the first time as it's coming out of my mouth. It's bypassing my consciousness and it's just coming through me. Now, this also happens when I automatic write. Spirit's coming through my body and using my hands and I am writing and I am recognizing the words as I'm writing them. I'm not thinking them and then writing them. I'm writing them and then they are making sense to me or then I'm reading them. When I am physically channeling, it's as if I have stepped aside and let something else come through and take over my body. And I have an awareness that this is happening, but it is not something that I am controlling at all. I'm relinquishing all control and letting it flow through. That's the best way for me to describe it, Jude. Yeah, I'd have to say that that's pretty much how I experience it too. And one of the thoughts that came up when you were describing this was um, like using sort of the understanding of water pressure, because when a channel is coming in, there's almost this surge of energy, like a current that is moving. And it feels like when you turn, you know, a faucet on and you get that nice full current, that nice full flow. So, you know, like there's no way for you to have any frame of reference of how a channeling is going to come in because you don't know what that feels like. You don't know what that looks like. We can explain it to you and, and you're still not going to know until it actually happens. So the first few times you're probably going to be channeling, you're going to catch it after it started. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm, I feel this. I can feel this current and surge and I must be channeling. And you're going to do that a handful of times. And then once you get used to what that feeling is, you're going to be able to sense when it's coming in. It's the same thing as like the first few times I had seen a past life. Like it was like all of a sudden I saw it and I almost couldn't even process it until after it had happened. And where nowadays I can like sense it coming into my vicinity before it appears. I can sense when a spirit wants to come in and communicate before they actually show up. You know, the more attuned you are, the more sensitive you're going to be to when the frequency starts to shift and you're going to be able to pick up and know what's coming. And this is why it is so important to practice. Okay. What are your takes on communicating healing and growing spiritually when it comes to plants and mother nature? 
I think nature is an amazing healer and so potent and so powerful in so many ways. And there are so many messages that she passes on to us. And there's so much healing and medicine out there through our plants and our animal kingdom and mother earth. And I have a love and admiration and respect for nature that I didn't have when I was younger. Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, beautiful sunset. Oh, I love the beach. But I can connect with nature on a really deep way now at this point in my life that I never have been able to before. And I'm kind of like, damn it. Why wasn't I able to do this when I was young? Why did I wait so long until I really felt the power of mother nature and the natural world around us? When I meditate out in nature, it's stronger than when I meditate indoors. I can just sit outside and listen to the birds chirp and feel the wind and smell the flowers and get a healing immediately just from being there and allowing myself to be present with the energy of nature. And we are going to do an episode in the future on herbalism because that's such a powerful topic. I see herbalists and I use a lot of herbal medicine. I do a lot of spell crafting using, um, you know, soil and rocks and stones and the elements and all aspects of nature in my magic and the way I work. So for me, um, it's huge. And the older I get, the more and more I tend to weave it into my practice. You know, I have to agree with you too, Patty. The The older I get and the further I get along in my path, the more and more I realize with fuller clarity, the immense power of the plants in the natural world. I've always known and I always felt it, but I don't think I've really understood it in the way that I've come to understand it now, especially in the shamanic paths and working with various plant medicines and working with these master plants that are very powerful. I am very humbled, you know, very humbled at the caliber and strength of these spirits and what they can teach us and how they can heal us. It's incredible. And it's almost like we have a surplus of medicine out there. Like there are so many plants and there's so much that we don't even know. And we're we're lucky that we even have some of the knowledge that we do, some handed down by our ancestors and, and teachers who've been working with various plants for thousands of years. And even some in the new science and study of like what actual like chemicals and components are in these plants and how we can utilize them for our healing and experiencing our plant friends as conscious beings, as their own personalities, as their own spirits, because they are. And I think when you start connecting with the natural world around you like this, it can be transformative to many areas of your life. Because once you're able to make that type of connection, you can formulate bonds and relationships and the medicine of these plants will work and integrate within your your being, your system, whether it be something that it's helping you in that physical, the mental, emotional, spiritual, and the more of a intimate relationship that we are creating with these beings, these plants, um, the more potent they are in assisting us in our wellness. All right. Please elaborate on old souls and their characteristics. What purpose do they have in this lifetime and how do they differ from star seeds and aliens, etc.? So for me, an old soul is somebody that um, has incarnated many times. So they have the lay of the land. They know how it works. They tend to have this wisdom, this innate wisdom about them, this um, confidence, this assurance. They tend to 
kind of be a little more chill, like a little more trusting, a little more accepting. Now, you know, they may not have incarnated in all human lives, but um, when I say an old soul, I tend to generally mean somebody that has had many human lives and they're, they're used to this planet and how this works where, um, you know, I'm going to hand it to you, Jude, but where like a star seed or an indigo child or somebody, maybe someone that's had many incarnations, but not many on the human plane or on earth. So being in the human form is a little, little trickier for them. Was, do you agree with that? I think that we both see this one the same way. With the old soul terminology, though, I try to make sure people understand what I mean by old soul, because I don't think that any soul is older than another soul. I think we're all infinitely old. But if I do utilize the terminology old soul, I'm generally meaning somebody who's lived a lot of earth lives or has had a lot of incarnations, be it here, there, or wherever in general. And starseeds to me tend to have very limited incarnations, but they've maybe existed for eons and eons and eons in very specific dimensions or planes of existence. And it's not that they're less experienced, but they come in with a lot of purity and a lot of gifts intact and their experiences coming from somewhere else. I think I definitely see it about the same way. All right. Are dream states a reflection of the spirit world or of your internal world? I think a lot of times they get kind of mixed in together. We can have a really spiritual dream or somebody we love has shown up or something's happening. And then woven in with that may be our internal world, or we are processing something that happened to us earlier that day. And it's kind of getting mixed up with the spiritual world. They don't always come in separately. You know, they can, but they can co sometimes come in mixed in together. And I think that's why interpreting dreams is, can be a little tricky and, and can be difficult work is because we will sometimes weave them together. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a mix of both. And to be honest with you, I'm super jealous of people who have really amazing dreams. Um, I get beautiful dreams, magical dreams, but they're very rare in comparison to when I have conversations with other people. And it seems like they're always having these really profound, extraordinary adventures in their dream time. And getting all these massive messages or precognition and all of this. And I get a little like envious. And then at the same time, I realize I'm kind of being a brat because uh, it's like all of my energy went into being able to like have all of that in my waking life. And then my sleeping world is mostly just, you know, all the mundane things, you know, my dreams are pretty vanilla. But the good thing is, is that when they're not, I know that they are holding some significance. So here's an interesting question. Are we able to predict when it is and how it is that we will die? And if we've been here so many times and we don't remember everything that we've learned, then why do we need to keep learning everything again? Well, I've heard stories of people who have had premonitions of their death, like either they knew like the exact date or around the time that they were going to pass. And I've known people who've sort of even manifested that their death would come in at a certain time rather than predicting it. Like they're like, I'm choosing this is the time that I'm going to go. This is in my plan. There's probably something to be gained from the mystery of not knowing, because perhaps if we know, maybe we're not really going to give the fullness of our life in every day, you know. 
any particular practice or method that we can do in order to receive that particular message. I think that it's sort of like outside of our control. And if it's meant for you to know, somehow that will be revealed. Yeah. And I know people that have been like, I'm going to die in my early 40s. And certainly, you know, they were right and they die in their early 40s or yeah. yeah. Have you um, ever seen someone's death in someone that you read? No, I've never seen it in somebody I read. And I don't think that I ever will see it in somebody I read because that's a pretty hard no for me as far as like what I'm going to allow spirit to show me. I think that I've had a sense when it's appropriate, like when somebody's truly at the end of their life, like they're elderly and they're getting sick and it's kind of obvious that it's happening. But what I can do is recognize when somebody's been touched by death. And this is something that I'm not going to pick up in a reading. It's going to be something that I see orically on somebody. And it's sort of like a, a mask. It's like a very specific type of look and color and patterning in the energy field. And I guess the best way I can describe it, it's sort of like a severing of life force energy. And it, it's like a deflated slumped look like the soul is not quite fitting in the body correctly. There's like a droopiness and a grayness, but it, there's like a distinct sense that it's life energy is draining out of them. And usually if I see this, this means that there's probably not going to have a ton of time left. Now, having said that, something very interesting had happened recently where the last time I saw this one particular gentleman, um, who was an older male who was very hard on his body, was an alcoholic and, you know, was probably doing hard drugs and all of that. And I known that person for many years and I would see them periodically. But uh, around the last time that I saw them, I saw that mask appearing on them, that look. And I thought this person's probably on their way out. And they weren't that old, you know, they were still highly functioning as a human being and, and could do plenty of things. Well, I haven't seen this person in at least like three years and I ran into them and I was shocked. They looked amazing. They looked vibrant. There was color in them. And I was a little stunned almost to see them alive. And so, of course, I was inquisitive and I asked like, hey, how are you doing? You know, how are things, you know, not trying to pry into the health. But apparently right after I had seen them last, they got in a really bad automobile accident. And it had laid them out and put them in a coma for a few weeks. And then they were laid up in the hospital for over a month. And it's terrible. They broke a lot of bones. You know, they were casted up and they were just being nursed. And in that time, they had to quit drinking and they had to quit doing the drugs. And then they had to go through rehabilitation where they weren't able to like go out and go to the bar and go party and do all these things. And they became sort of this like homebody. And they were very also humbled. Their whole energy was so humbled. Whereas I could see more of that ego drive in them the last time that I had saw them. And I very quickly assessed that what a miracle, as terrible as that thing that happened to them, it was a miracle because it made them stop and halt the path that they were on. And I think that they would have continued those habits and it very quickly would have like probably just destroyed their physical body until they passed. And this accident forced them to clean it up and it gave them more time. So just because I've seen that, what I've just recently learned, it does not mean it's like a a total death sentence. It can shift. And perhaps now I'm understanding that I can recognize this and encourage 
somebody I see with that type of energy to take more action into their health and perhaps shift it. That's interesting. I, I had a client that took classes with me that had the um, ability to recognize when someone was going to pass. And she worked for palliative care, which is um, with people that have um, are actively dying or they have a terminal illness. And she would tell the doctor, you know, they're, they're not going to live this week. And he'd be like, no, they're, you know, their vitals are good. They're blah, blah, blah. And that person would, would pass under the timeline that she saw. And for her, this was pretty tricky, you know, and, and pretty intense to experience, but she was the same way. She said she could see somebody like at the coffee shop and be like, oh, they're not here for long. And she would see it as a, a kind of something visual that she would sense. For me, I see it more as their inner flame where I'll be like, oh, their inner flame is very dim or their inner flame is flickering or it's only a tiny little flame where it should be, you know, much more to it. I, I've seen that on somebody and then they've changed their habits. Like they'll get sober and they'll start taking care of themselves and then their inner flame will be back. So for me, it doesn't necessarily always mean that somebody is getting ready to pass. And to expand on the second half of that question of why it is that we need to continue learning our lessons over and over again. I think we do remember everything we learned, maybe just not on a conscious level. In my opinion, if you've learned the lesson, then you're not going to have to repeat it. If you're finding yourself in situations where you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, uh, trying to make the right decision, and it's challenging for you, you clearly haven't learned the lesson. And the universe has a way of testing, testing, testing. So a great example of this is like people who are in a, like a toxic relationship and it was so hard to leave this person and then you finally did and then you feel like I've totally conquered this and I have come out the other side a better person and then what's going to happen is that you're going to be presented with somebody who embodies those same characteristics again. And then you find yourself with somebody that is just as bad or if not worse and that will continue to happen until you learn truly learn through all the layers until it is suddenly so easy and so effortless to recognize what's going on and make the correct choice. And that's when you know you've really learned the lesson. All right. So we have time for one more question. And the final question is, I would love to hear your thoughts on bleed throughs. I've had situations where I've been driving in a car and have been blown away that there are machines that are able to move us around so quickly. I've also had a thought that it was so amazing that we allow dogs to live in the house with us when they should be living outside. So what I'm gathering, what they mean by bleed through is that they're sort of jumping realities or timelines that they think for a moment they're somewhere else. And then they suddenly have a like a relapse, like memory, like, oh yeah, no way, I'm in 2023 and this is what's happening. I personally haven't had that exact experience, but I've had awareness that something's shifted in my reality. Like there's like a jolt that goes through everything. And my consciousness is registering that something has changed, something has shifted, but I can't seem to put my finger on it. And I'll look around my awareness and everything seems exactly the same. There's nothing obvious sticking out. But then I always wonder is like, oh, has my consciousness totally readjusted to the new reality? Like maybe this is so different, but I'm jumping in all, you know, another timeline. And so I'm used to this timeline. I know the the history of this timeline already. I don't know what the old reality looks like anymore. And that's happened to me a couple of times. Yeah, this is so interesting. I can't I can't really think of anything 
that I've experienced that I think would be in the same category. The only thing I can think of is going back to nature where I've had moments of like deep, a deep sense of awe or a deep sense of appreciation and gratitude where I'm like, holy shit, like how lucky am I to live in this environment? Like how lucky are we? we live in such a beautiful space and mine tends to be more that type of thing. Yeah. I think my experiences with nature sometimes are that way where I feel like maybe I was a creature or I was more um, a part of nature rather than seeing myself separate from it. There was a time in a past life or past existence where maybe I felt more, um, connected or more one with my environment. And so I think sometimes when I have those moments of awe and, and gratitude that it could maybe be a little bit of that bleed through from another experience. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that maybe I've experienced bleed throughs when I recall past lives like that too. Like if I've gone into an area that I've actually physically been in, in another incarnation and there's something about its atmosphere, its energy, the way it smells, the landscape. I don't know what it is. And then it's sort of like being wafted back with like this other reality. And for moments, it seems like I can't tell the difference between this reality, like the memories and the images are so strong, but they're superimposed on top of the reality, this modern reality that I'm looking through. But my conscious awareness is always aware that I am actually still part of this modern timeline and that I'm remembering or recalling something from a past life. So, you know, technicalities on the vocabulary. But yeah, I guess that would be sort of like a bleed through as well. All right. Well, this was a little heavier um, than it's been in the past, a little, little more philosophic. And you guys really made us work tonight <laughs> and and kind of move through some questions that were a little tough and maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but we appreciate your interest in our opinions and our thoughts. And if you sent us in a question and we didn't get to you, we apologize. Or it may be a question that we are going to um, answer in an episode in the near future. So we might have skipped it for that reason. But Thank you all so much for listening and for sending in these questions and for um, taking part in our anniversary Q&A. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for sending in your challenging questions and pushing Patty and I into some uncomfortable spaces, talking about these really deep and hard to describe perceptions of our reality. Uh, you guys are amazing and you keep us on our toes. We are so grateful for you, our audience, and for all of your love, all of your support, and for you sharing this podcast with other like-minded individuals. So if you want to find out more about what Patty and I are doing together or individually, please sign up for our newsletters through our individual websites, which can be found on spiritspeakerspodcast.com. I do have an amazing pilgrimage retreat coming up in Nepal in this October of 2023, and there's still a few spots open. If it's something that you've ever dreamed of doing, there's already a really magical, solid group of people coming on this adventure with me, and I invite you to apply. You can find that application on my website. And both Patty and I have more things in store. And so once again, thank you as you are the reason that we are now celebrating four years of podcasting. Much love and take care.